Welcome to Imagine That. Your host is Dr. Miriam Franco. Today, we'll discover the power of imagination to relax and discuss many of the ways it can help solve problems, improve your health, and more. Imagination is a healthy, powerful tool that, when applied to a concern, becomes a powerful ally that we can all benefit from. Now, here is Dr. Miriam Franco. Welcome to Imagine That. I'm your host, Dr. Miriam Franco. As a psychologist and a guided imagery specialist, I have witnessed the power of our imagination to help us reduce pain, let go of stress, prepare for challenging life events, and improve our health and coping. As Albert Einstein said, first we imagine it, then we create it. Each week on Imagine That, I interview healthcare professionals, wellness experts, teachers, artists, and community leaders who apply innovative ways to use the power of the imagination to relax, cope, perform, and learn. Today, we explore the question, Do Animals Imagine?, with our guest, Dr. Stephanie Theodoro, a professor of philosophy who has published on theories of consciousness and the realm of animal consciousness. Dr. Theodoro has co-edited an e-book on animal experience and has just completed a TEDx Cape May talk on the topic of reimagining animal consciousness. After receiving her PhD from Temple University in philosophy of religion, Stephanie focused her attention to the study of consciousness and the role of symbolism in cognition. Her interest in animal consciousness evolved from her research in phenomenological accounts of experience in Western and Eastern philosophical traditions. She's been teaching at the university level for the past 30 years and has published work on the philosophical implications of the emotional life of animals, metaphor and mind, hermeneutics, and Asian philosophy. She taught and was director of the Honors Program at Immaculata University, where I had the pleasure of befriending her and co-teaching some Honors courses. Dr. Theodoro now teaches at the University of Central Florida. Welcome to Imagine That, Stephanie, and thank you for joining us today. Oh, you're welcome. It's such a pleasure to reunite with you. Yes, yes, yes. Um, It's great. Many, many years of friendship and sharing ideas, and look where it's led. Yes. So, I know something about your background, but for our listeners, how did you first get interested in whether animals, especially ones with higher ordered thinking capacities, how animals think and emote, perhaps like us? Well, uh, one of the big questions in philosophy these days, philosophy of mind, is, um, you know, what is the nature of consciousness? Con- meaning, you know, obviously we start, we're starting with human consciousness, but then that's expanded to kind of asking this question, well, why did the universe, you know, which uh, at first material, why did it produce consciousness? I mean, did it have to? You know, how did this, how did this, this um, phenomenon 
uh, emerge. Mm-hmm. And so um, in, I, I suppose I started study, trying to understand how humans think, the structure of cognition and perception. And then uh, because I was interested in symbolism and metaphor, uh, I was blending um, cognition and metaphor. And we know now that you know, humans think through the imagination. I mean, the imagination and cognition and perception are all connected. Mm-hmm. And, and so, that, so as, as I, that led me into just wanting to know more and more about the structure of consciousness as we see it throughout the natural world. Um, so, you know, animals obviously uh, share aspects of consciousness with us. Uh, yes. So now, now that's, that, that's where, so not only are we trying to learn to understand them, we're trying to understand ourselves through them. Yes, yes. So then, when we ask the question, as we did for the title of this show, mm-hmm. Do Animals Imagine?, I think we first need to consider what exactly the process of imagination entails. I think of imagination in humans as an ability to evoke a mental image of something that may not be real Mm -hmm. or has not yet occurred or perhaps has not been thought of before. What's your understanding of this basic process? Uh, I would say, I would say that's, that's where we start. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. And, and I, I would add that, well, as we get into it, we can talk about how imagination follows from perception and memory and problem solving. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, go, go ahead. Okay. So for many of us Americans who are lovers of domesticated animals, which we typically think of as cats and dogs, there is obviously so much interest and hope that our favorite pets are communicating deeply with us. We'd like to think that they understand a great deal more than we once thought However, there is a tendency, I know, to sometimes imagine more going on than is actually occurring. So how do we start to understand how to approach how animals think and communicate? What are some of the factors or issues we need to address first? Well, there is that tendency to anthropomorphize. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how, how much of that we can eliminate. Um, from from the context here, mm-hmm. I think we're, we're all aware of it. We need to be extremely aware of it. Uh, but what we can do is open up ourselves to the possibilities through the research that um, that animal behaviors can indicate and suggest that certain things might be happening in animal minds. Right. I mean, certainly, you know, if there's a, a behavior where you're seeing something concrete like eating or, or playing, which they do play, you know, and, and they do, um, we'll talk later about the chimp who, you know, hides the imaginary food object. Mm-hmm. You know, so those kind of behaviors indicate that something's going on. It's not just all, all of our project, only projection on our part. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, and those can be measured and those experiments can be repeated. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So are there certain animals then that would be more capable to evoke imaginative tendencies? I mean, are we to assume this would follow some of the mammals who have, um, you know, much uh, higher developed uh, cognitive processes? Yes, yes. Obviously chimps, Uh dolphins, Mm -hmm. um, dolphins and whales. Uh, 
you know, elephants, of course. Mm -hmm. But what's surprising is that um, crows, well, bird species, can can problem solve. And Uh I think problem solving, as I said earlier, is connected to the imagination. Mm -hmm. uh, Because you have to sort of project out possible possible sorts of scenarios and consequences, you know, like, and, and we can talk about how crows, you, you know, develop tools out of twigs and leaves uh-huh. to, to extract caterpillars um, and how they, they're capable of refining the tools so that the tools work better. So they, they can refine and, and improve upon what they're doing. And I, I imagine that's got to involve some kind of imagination. That's really fascinating because, yeah. you know, when you mention elephants, um, many of us who are animal lovers are familiar with the fact that elements, uh, elephants are known to have a great memory. So yes. it's not such a stretch for me to think that element, elephants could imagine. But I was really um, curious to find out that you mentioned crows. I mean, yes, I think of birds as having great visual capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, but the way, and I know that some birds that migrate, you know, they do this by all kinds of sensory perception, um, you know, with moisture in the air and sunlight and listening to the sounds of other birds that are, you know, leading the pack. But mm-hmm. crows, you know, the problem solving, it, you know, when you speak to it, it's really just amazing that they have imaginative capacities because we think of them as having small brains. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, then we have dogs and cats. I mean, mm-hmm. we know that dogs dream. We know a variety of animal species dream, uh, and we can, again, that's a behavior that we can ob- observe because, you know, you, you can see them moving and twitching, and we're hooking up, you know, um, we're, we're hooking up electrodes to their brains, and we're measuring what's going on in there. Um, and so it's quite likely that they are telling themselves some kind of a story. Yes. You know, and, and you can see that in, in, their, in their bodily movements. Uh, so mm-hmm. we, we know they dream, and that's a form of imagination. Yes, and we also know that, for example, dogs um, can smell emotions and use their faces to feel thoughts, etc. cetera. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What have you learned about how animals communicate to other creatures, also humans, via affective states that really surprised you or you weren't really expecting to discover. Again, most of us know in general they can communicate. If you are an owner of a cat or a dog, mm-hmm. you know there's a level of communication that's going on and bonding. Uh, but was there anything about affective communication that really surprised you? Yes. Um, I would say uh, the capacity for empathy uh-huh. that some species show um, uh, certainly, you know, uh, again, with the whales and the dolphins, the elephants, um, chimps, uh, there's, we have so many instances of animals um, trying to save a, a, an animal that might be dying. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have um, instances of animals appearing to thank humans for helping them out, like mm-hmm. getting them unstuck from a net, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have... Example. So there's there's that that it seems that there's an empathy there, um, and also I was surprised by the degree to which animals can play. Yes, they, they initiate games. 
Um, they can they play with humans. They play with each other. There's even interspecies playing between whales and dolphins. Uh, dolphins, like out in Hawaii, uh, they observed um, dolphins riding on the backs of or the heads of whales, kind of like hitching a ride, <laughs> conserving you know? energy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. And 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 they even um, they've been known to surf. You know, play with play in the waves. Dolphins play with seaweed. So oh, that's, yeah. that surprised uh-huh. me. The, the extent to which they're capable of, um, of devising games. And of course, we're, I guess we're not, it's not so surprising when we're thinking about chimps, but chimps can do sort of elaborate, more elaborate things. There's the, um, the uh, instance of um, Kokomo, the uh, Kokomo, the, the, the chimp who, took the, uh, was, was carrying around a log as if it were a baby, right? So the, they'll, they'll play with toys um, and they'll treat the toys as if they're real things. So the chimp was treating this as if it were a baby. Um, another bonobo, Kanzi, um, was hiding invisible objects under leaves. Stephanie? Then, yes. I don't want to miss this monkeying around. We're about to take our first commercial break. Let's get back to this playful, imaginative play after our first commercial break. Okay. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. De-stress with guided imagery. I'm Dr. Franco, a relaxation and guided imagery specialist. I've designed an app, Imagery Work, to relieve stress and improve mood, coping, and performance. My sensory meditations are easy to use and promote fast, effective relief from stress in the body and anxious thinking. Imagery Work includes tracks for special challenges, relieve caregiver stress, defeat dental fear, stress-free bride, coping with anxiety with multiple sclerosis, mastering test anxiety, and many wellness tracks as well. To download Imagery Work, go to Apple Store or Google Play. To learn more about guided imagery, visit imageryworkcom To access Imagery Work, go to App Store or Google Play. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are tuned in to Imagine That. If you have a question or comment about our show or would like to share a story about how your imagination has helped you, send an email to Dr. M.E. Franco at Yahoo.com. That's Dr. M. E. Franco at yahoo.com. Now, back to Imagine That. 
Welcome back to Imagine That. I'm your host, Dr. Miriam Franco. My guest today is Dr. Stephanie Theodoro, a professor of philosophy at the University of Central Florida. And we're discussing today how animals communicate to other living creatures and whether they have an imagination or imaginative capacities. Dr. Theodoro has co-edited an ebook on animal consciousness, which you can find at livingbooksaboutlife.org. And she's just completed a TEDx Cape May talk on reimagining animal consciousness. If you'd like to learn more about this TEDx talk, you can visit TEDxCapeMay.com. And if you'd like to learn more about Dr. Theodoro's publications, you can contact her at Stephanie.Theodoru, T-H-E-O-D-O-R-O-U, at UCF.edu. In our last segment, Stephanie, you had shared some wonderful anecdotes about how chimps, dolphins, uh, whales, perhaps even elements, uh, elephants, have capacities for very evocative play. Mm-hmm. And this suggests that uh, some imaginative capacity, because after all, play can be accidentally discovered, but to play around with something suggests innovation or learning from discovery or imagining that something could occur. So I was fascinated by one of the examples you gave about dolphins learning how to play and toss with seaweed. And I was thinking to myself when you mentioned that seaweed doesn't consist of a natural substance or surface that you would have an experience of rolling on or think of rolling it, therefore, to someone else. Right, it's, it's intentional. It's intentional so, play. It's, it's putting it together in some way yes. to make it work. Yes. So that's so suggestive of imaginative play. And I, I, I know you can speak to more of this in a second. I, I know as a therapist um, that the work of children is play because play is not only enjoyable, play is how their minds get organized as well as language and play. So could you speak more to animals playing and their imaginations? Well, sure. Um, Let me give you yet another example. Um, This one is probably very well known, very common. Um, People know about Coco, a female gorilla that was trained in sign language. And so um, she actually was able to, um, you know, she, she, she had dolls, and she would pretend that they were her friends. She would, she would pretend to nurse them. She used sign language with them. She would put them into scenarios with each other. And then she even did something really, really funny um, and fascinating with um, her caregiver. She sort of tried to play a joke with her caregiver. They were... Um, there was a, a picture of a bird in a magazine, and I think the Coco was, you know, telling, signing to the, the caregiver, oh, I'm not a gorilla, I'm a bird, right? <laughs> and, and, then, and then said, yeah, and you're a bird, ha-ha, we're both birds, you know? And then, and then Coco pointed out um, there was a card there that said, fake bird clown, I'm playing, I'm playing a joke on you. Like, this is a joke. Ha ha. So that was 
pretty shocking to me. Uh, it's shocking to me as well. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I, I was thinking about, um, I remember my own daughter and other small children playing with dolls, um, knowing they weren't real people, um, but, you know, treating them as if they were animate and uh, imagining all mm-hmm. kinds of scenarios and things going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and she clearly, Coco clearly knew these were not baby gorillas. Well, pro- yes, she, she knew. But in general, one kind of really ambiguous area in terms of animal and imagination is we really, we really uh, have trouble knowing how much um, of a, we really have trouble identifying the degree to which they can tell the difference between illusion and, and reality, between okay. fiction and reality. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that Coco knew, mm-hmm. um, but it's not always so clear in other animals. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think I mentioned, did I mention the bonobo? Yes, I did. Kanzi, mm-hmm. who would uh, hide uh, pretend objects uh, under leaves and then pretend to eat them. Uh-huh. You know, so now what is that behavior? Is that a behavior that's indicating a desire on the on the part of the animal? Is it indicating is it is it you know, what's going on there? There's a we're not sure um in some cases how much they believe in their you know, illusory objects. And and in yeah. some instances we're not sure about that with people either. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. But we, we, we do know in the case, a couple of those cases that they were pretending. Yes, yeah. yes. And I yeah. think that's the important point, that there is the capacity to do that with yeah. certain species. Okay. Yeah, yes. And, and I, I can really appreciate the, the um, concern and also philosophical uh, question and or concern uh, that you raised uh, previously. Because, for example, in my line of work, People have a lot of um, therapy dogs or pets. Mm-hmm. And of course we know, um, and there's a lot of research in America about how pets can be beneficial to lowering blood pressure, mm-hmm. um, heart rate among elderly. Many universities are now bringing dogs in around exam time to lower anxiety among um, groups of students. We know that certain breeds of dogs can be trained to detect certain cancers via their smell. Mm -hmm. They can also sometimes predict onset of seizures. So they have protective health wellness functions for us. And we know in humans, having pets can increase our oxycodone levels or what we call our um, pleasurable feel-good hormones. And we know we can raise those levels in dogs. Mm -hmm. And so... That's where the research is, but one is left to assume, oh, therefore, that's good for dogs. And just like you suggested, just because we can see an effect or measure it doesn't mean we know what the full benefit is for the dog. For example, dogs Mm -hmm. may not have high blood pressure. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. though it seems behaviorally to have some effect on dogs, we don't know how clearly beneficial it is for dogs. We know the dogs are already bonded with us, and this continues the bond between us. But it's so easy to make an assumption that because it's good for people, it's good in the exact same way for dogs. That's right. For example, um, there's, um, you know, one would think hugging 
the act mm-hmm. of hugging, you know, this is a sign that humans give to one another um, that indicates affection and closeness and warmth. But dogs don't really like to be hugged. Actually, they they find they they can find it uncomfortable. Uh, yes. say, say the same with uh, gazing it directly into their eyes. Uh-huh. It, uh, now it depends on the relationship that you've established with the dog. I mean, if you if the dog knows you well, then you can have that kind of gazing, uh-huh. that un- uninterrupted gazing, gazing, and it wouldn't be considered a threat. But it could be considered a threat um, to a dog that does not know know you. Doesn't know your gaze, like a glare. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Well, and, you know, uh, in humans, um, I mean, if you really didn't speak a common language and didn't have common symbols, if you were to greet a human, a, a stranger with a big smile, you know, like a hard smile, they may see that as threatening, not friendly. Exactly. So I imagine, as you're saying, the context matters here. Yes, and mm-hmm. I'm, thinking, um, I'm thinking as we're talking, I'm thinking about the role that imagination plays in evolution in uh-huh. both humans and, and um, non-human, uh, non, I'm sorry, non-primate animal uh-huh. species, because of course we're, we're animals. Right. Um, and I just uh, read something very interesting. I don't know if this is off topic, but, um, you know, for a long time, people have been trying to explain how it is that the human brain just kind of exploded when we came out out of the savannas uh-huh. you know, during our evolution. And someone just put out a theory um, at a university that, um, that our ancestors, our chimp ancestors, uh, primate ancestors might have been eating lots of psychedelic mushrooms. <laughs> and that, that uh, this actually forced their neural networks to create many, 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 many more connections That's than they would have without that substance. And I guess where I'm going with this is just um, linking imagination to remembering that imagination is linked to perception and that it all depends on how, how the various regions of the brain, at least 12 regions, connect up in, in a human being, at least, at least 12 regions, uh, so that they're all working together. And I would think that the, it, I would think that the tougher the challenge in terms of solving uh, a problem in the environment as we're evolving, mm-hmm. the, the, the more challenging the environment is, the more it would force the species, whatever species is dealing with whatever problem, to come up with new configurations and, and new, new um, connections between neural networks. So the imagination, you know, plays, a, that, that's really the evolutionary benefit of having uh, imagination. Yes, and we know that hardships, um, you know, having to uh, face a hardship, like, you know, maybe it's um, uh, the weather gets more right. severe. Right. Um, if something's not working, forces us to keep repeating and trying things in different ways because of the threat of duress that yes. would ensue. And yes. I imagine that's the case with some animals as well. You know, the other thing, um, as, as we're talking, I'm thinking also about the role of imagination in the production of culture. I'm aware, though, that we have another commercial break. So let's return to the the role of imagination in the development of culture in our next segment. 
Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. De-stress with guided imagery. I'm Dr. Franco, a relaxation and guided imagery specialist. I've designed an app, Imagery Work, to relieve stress and improve mood, coping, and performance. My sensory meditations are easy to use and promote fast, effective relief from stress in the body and anxious thinking. Imagery Work includes tracks for special challenges, relieve caregiver stress, defeat dental fear, stress-free bride, coping with anxiety with multiple sclerosis, mastering test anxiety, and many wellness tracks as well. To download Imagery Work, go to Apple Store or Google Play. To learn more about guided imagery, visit imageryworkcom To access Imagery Work, go to App Store or Google Play. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are tuned in to Imagine That. If you have a question or comment about our show or would like to share a story about how your imagination has helped you, send an email to Dr. M. E. Franco at Yahoo.com. That's Dr. M. E. Franco at Yahoo.com. Now, back to Imagine That. Welcome back to Imagine That. I'm your host, Dr. Miriam Franco. My guest today is Dr. Stephanie Theodoro, a professor of philosophy at the University of Central Florida, who has written and published on animal consciousness. If you'd like to learn more about Dr. Theodoro's edited ebook on animal experience, you can visit livingbooksaboutlife.org. If you'd like to learn more about her recent TED talk, you can visit TEDxTalkCapeMay.com. And if you'd like to learn more about Dr. Theodoro's work and other publications, you can contact her at Stephanie.Theodoro at ucf.edu. In the last segment, Stephanie, we started to just introduce the idea that imagine, well, you were speaking first about um, primate evolution, chimps leading to our own uh, human evolution Mm -hmm. of, of cognitive capacities and imaginative capacities. And then you shifted to, in fact, imagination has a role in the development of culture. Could you say more about that? Yes. Uh, so we think of culture as we, one way to think of it is um, as a way of making meaning, right? Yes. And how, how do we express meaning? Uh, we use different kinds of signs. They can be linguistic signs. 
They can be ritual objects. Uh, they can, so they could be sets of behaviors. Um, and how do we use them? We, we, it's a way of um, creating and reinforcing meaning uh, through social bonding. So it, it creates this solidity in the group. Uh, wow. And so we, one would think that animals did not have the, do not have the capacity, non, that is non-human animals would not have the capacity for culture. But in fact, they do. Um, not all of them. Uh, but enough of them, uh, such that uh, it, 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 we're, it, we're challenged now. Uh, we're, we're definitely that old assumption about, you know, humans, humans. Being, being the ones that are just so, so, so creative. Yeah, obviously, okay. I mean, obviously we are much more creative, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, but um, there are behaviors involving ri rituals patterns, sign patterns, behavioral patterns that different species use to mark death, uh, grieving. Um, they even bury. They, wow. they, they, yeah, yeah, they bury their, their, their um, dead. Elephants bury their dead. And uh, they also return to uh, the graves over and over again. For that's quite a so, long time after after the death. That's just yeah. so amazing. So I always knew that mammals that have long weaning periods, um, and if they have long weaning periods, that means there's more communication to learn before mm -hmm. they start separating or being more on their own from the parent or, or group, the animal mm -hmm. group. Mm -hmm. And so dolphins and elephants and sea lions and whales, uh, chimps, they have much longer weaning periods. So I just assume that signaling, signage, communication, coding would be more elaborate because mm -hmm. there's a lot to communicate around raising young and weaning. Mm -hmm. You're suggesting, though, you know, with the elephants – you mentioned earlier their capacity for empathy, uh, some awareness of the other or the other's loss mm -hmm. and in grief. Mm -hmm. um, it's just so interesting because for humans, one of the main ways you cope with losing a loved one through death is talking about and experiencing the death of the other with other humans. Exactly. exactly. And so uh, can you say more about what, we're now learning about elephants. Well, that, 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 well, elephants um, organize themselves. I mean, they, they, they really, uh, you know, they can be pretty sophisticated in, uh, they apparently um, have meetings <laughs> and, and in order to do some kind of decision making. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's behavior, there, these are behaviors that, allow them to, um, you know, take care of each other and develop, you know, a sense of home among one another. Do you know if they form a circle? Um, I don't know. I don't know that. Um, mm -hmm. I, I don't know. I know that uh, in relation to the grieving, mm -hmm. um, something like that. I mean, they, they, they caress, they touch the bones of their dead with the trunks uh -huh. And then they will put 
um, leaves and dirt on the bones, you know, burying them. Um, other species also have been known to bury their dead, uh, which is very interesting. Very interesting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what, what is that? What's going on there? Right. I mean, <laughs> I mean certain, certain human groups didn't, don't bury. Only no. some do, right. Um, or they may burn, but um, yeah, that's really, really now. And there's another instance, I don't know if you could call this, I mean, I suppose you could say, of course, dancing is a form of culture, mm-hmm. uh, but chimps do dance. Um, apparently, um, I think it was Jane Goodall. I'm not, I'm pretty sure it was, uh, reported watching, um, a gorilla dancing in the spray of a waterfall in this sort of repetitive <laughs> movement. Uh-huh. You know, a dance. Yeah. So, um, they, and I would say dancing is a form of culture. I mean, what, oh, is, it is. what is the purpose of, of dancing? Well, it's a, um, well, dancing in human culture is an art form that mm-hmm. by watching and participating in the dancing, you're through the medium, you're experiencing um, some theme. For mm-hmm. example, there's, there are warrior dances before war. Mm-hmm. There are dances that are accompany certain rites and ceremonies, um, you know, as does food. Mm-hmm. Feasts, you know, they seal certain rituals. Um, there's dancing uh, at happy events and, 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 and really any events that can signify something. Well, but in this instance, they, they're dancing out of um, some pleasurable experience, like, you know, in the waterfall. And chimps also dance during uh, thunderstorms. They've been observed. Huh. Yeah. I wonder if there's something calming about that. I'm not quite sure. Yeah. 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 It's very interesting. Yeah. So um, I understand um, you just completed a, a TEDx talk, and, and that was with a live audience? or Yes. Okay. So I know this is sometimes hard to read, but when you give a presentation with a live audience, you get a feeling about the audience, even if they're not speaking a lot, you know, they may be asking questions at some point, but, you know, how they're sort of responding to you and the topic. Did you get a sense of certain things that just pulled the, at the audience's imagination or their sense of wonder? Many people came up to me afterwards and said, you know, I've always noticed my pet doing A or B or C. Mm-hmm. You know, and I've always thought about it. And you just confirmed, you know, that there's more going on there than I thought. So uh-huh. people brought their own life experience with their, you know, beloved pets um, into, okay. into the talk. Yes. Uh, I, I didn't, I was, I was expecting that some people might come up and say, you know, you, you really are you can't equate humans with, you know, other animal species. You know, we really are completely superior in every way. And, you know, there's just, we're essentially different. And uh, no one came up and said that to me. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I have had people react to uh, this idea for a variety of reasons. I mean, you know, the, the Christian, the Judeo-Christian tradition 
you know, asserts that humans are created in the image of God. And so yes. right there, there's a line. Mm-hmm. There's a line right there. And we are on this other side of the line and the other animals are on, that, uh, on the other side of that line. And, but I think that the more we learn about animals of all species, the more we see that things are much blurrier than that. Because, and that's because of what we're learning about consciousness. Yes, and there are some um, religious traditions, such as Hinduism, that believes that um, animals have souls, just like humans. Oh, yes, yes, right. yes. And, that, there, and, that there's a continuum of, of um, shared um, um, energy and states. Actually, Pythagoras, also the ancient Greek um, mathematician, Pythagoras, thought mm-hmm. something like that. Um, and what's interesting is that, you know, there might have been some communication there between India and Greece uh, with regard to some of these topics. Um, and Plato was a little more amenable to the idea that everything in the world is kind of ensouled or animated, this, this world soul, he calls it, that's animating everything, mm-hmm. you know. But other philosophers uh, sort of went the other way and uh, argued that, you know, animals can't reason, they can't do complex problem solving. Um, Descartes famous for that. Aquinas is famous for that. During the Enlightenment, um, John Locke and David Hume begin to open up, you know, much more of a, much more the possibility that animals are perceiving more, than, you- more than we think they, they do. I also think that the Enlightenment thinkers are more apt to, um, look at consciousness as a set of behaviors uh-huh. with a material basis. That's um, really, really interesting. Yeah, um, so they're more psychological. I mean, yeah. they're more psychological, they're more be- and, and they're more aware of the connection between matter and mind. Uh, and yes. so they're, they're going to be thinking that, you know, certain animals with nervous systems are, are going to have these same traits. Let's think about that and return to that in our next segment. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. De-stress with guided imagery. I'm Dr. Franco, a relaxation and guided imagery specialist. I've designed an app, Imagery Work, to relieve stress and improve mood, coping, and performance. My sensory meditations are easy to use and promote fast, effective relief from stress in the body and anxious thinking. Imagery Work includes tracks for special challenges, relieve caregiver stress, defeat dental fear, stress-free bride, coping with anxiety with multiple sclerosis, mastering test anxiety, and many wellness tracks as well. To download Imagery Work, go to Apple Store or Google Play. To learn more about guided imagery, visit imageryworkcom To access Imagery Work, go to App Store or Google Play. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are tuned in to Imagine That. If you have a question or comment about our show or would like to share a story about how your imagination has helped you, send an email to Dr. M.E. Franco at Yahoo.com. That's Dr. M. E. Franco at Yahoo.com. Now, back to Imagine That. Welcome back to Imagine That. I'm your host, Dr. Miriam Franco. My guest today is Dr. Stephanie Theodoro, a philosophy professor at University of Central Florida. She's written and published on animal consciousness, and the philosophical implications of the emotional life of animals. She has co-edited an ebook on animal experience with Living Books. To learn more about that, you can visit livingbooksaboutlife.org. If you'd like to learn more about this topic and other publications and research, you can contact Dr. Theodoro at stephanie.theodoro at ucf.edu. And if you'd like to visit Dr. Theodoro's TEDx Talk, Cape May TEDx Talk, you can visit TEDxTalkCapeMay.com. Dr. Theodoro, in our last segment, we were talking about some of the well-known philosophers and their question regarding whether we are superior to the animals or animals um, are where where are they vis-a-vis us uh, in terms of capacities? Mm-hmm. And you also mentioned that some of the members of the audience at your TEDx talk in Cape May came up to you after your talk and were very interested about how your discussions affirmed what they already felt or perhaps suspected about their pets. Mm-hmm. But I'm interested now in a different framework in question um, for philosophy and your philosophical research, which is what do we learn about ourselves by studying animal consciousness first and foremost, and also perhaps the broader question of consciousness itself? Uh, well, um, we, we, we are trying to figure out these days, you know, how it is that the human brain produces consciousness. Yes. Uh, and we do that by studying all, one way that we learn about that is by comparing what's going on in the human brain to what's going on in other species' brains. Uh, and we're measuring um, communications between regions of the brain, you know, as they join their, as neural networks in the brain speak to one another, you know, uh, through uh, channels and signals. Uh, so we're, just as we can measure the electrical activity 
uh, and the physiology, the physiological changes in our own brains. We're doing that with other species, uh, and we can. We're getting pretty good at um, being able to um, map out um, how it is that certain animals can project physical activity patterns um, in their sleeping and waking cycles as they're, let's say, learning to move through a maze or something like that, learning some kind of behavior. Um, I'm thinking even of, uh, they did this with rats, uh, mm. I believe. I believe. And, and so what that shows is that um, as we're studying non-human brains, um, we're learning something about the mechanisms through which we learned to think, you know, mm -hmm. the evolution of thinking, cognitive mapping. And part of cognitive mapping, and this is linked to the imagination, is, you know, it, it's, it's sort of any animal has to sort of figure out, well, if I do this or that, then X, Y, and Z is likely to follow. What are the best, what's the best possible outcome given a scenario? So animals need to make choices you know, in response to certain things that are going on around them. Uh, and, and that's, so cognitive mapping is a way of sort of figuring out that learning process. And um, so that's how we know that animals are doing some of this. Mm -hmm. um, now, the other thing is, though, that we always assume, and in general, it seems like the bigger the brain, the more complex the thinking in any yes. animal, but we know that bees can do some kind of computation, and they're tiny, right? Um, yes. I don't want to say too much more about that, other than, you know, it's, it seems counterintuitive. You know, how can this tiny organism do this kind of, you know, mathematical kind of problem solving, but apparently they can. In fact, there's a yeah. lot of research going on about bees right now. Yeah. Um, I don't know if partly it's because um, the bee population is decreasing, mm -hmm. um, but an awful lot of interest in how they communicate and even, so to speak, criticize, you know, um, give feedback so that things are then done differently. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Learning, learning from pa the past. Mm -hmm. Self-correcting. Right. Yes. But learning from another bee. Yes. Oh, yes, mm -hmm. yes, yes. Well, um, animals can teach each other how to hunt. Right. Whales and dolphins teach each other how to hunt. Mm-hmm. Um, so there you go. Yeah, definitely. There's lots of, there's lots of teaching going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so your question was, what can we learn about ourselves? I suppose we're still looking at how it is that um, that neural networks organize themselves in ways that give rise to certain kinds of um, cognitive processes, affective processes, um, aesthetic experience, mm -hmm. the, develop the development of empathy, morality, uh, things like that. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. um, I, I suppose the more we learn about them, the more we learn about non-human animal consciousness, the more we can um, maybe figure out how we're different. Yes. Similar, but different. Yes. Um, and so if you had a magic wand, 
Mm-hmm. What would you like to study more of if you could at this moment in time? I am interested in studying how it is that nature produces consciousness in general across the board. So the origins of consciousness itself? or Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. actually, yes. <laughs> yes, and I've been, I've been doing some, some reading on that. Um, I know that physicists at MIT are even trying to, you know, they're, they're trying to explain it mathematically now. Um, and so there's debates about whether consciousness arises from, does it have to arise from um, something that matter that we associate with space and time? Or is consciousness somehow arising from something that's not spatial and temporal, but mathematical in some other way? Um, and then that's linked back to quantum physics and, um, you know, what happens with quantum gravity and things. So I'm just interested in how um, people are, are trying to, you know, formulate the, well, relation, the relationship between, between time, space, matter, and consciousness. Well, unfortunately, Dr. Theodoro, the relationship between time and space today in our broadcast is about to end. But All I right. want to thank you oh, so much for joining us today. And if you'd like to learn more about Dr. Theodoro's work, you can email her at stephanie.theodoro at ucf.edu. And... Again, thank you, Stephanie. Um, if you'd like to learn more about her uh, edited ebook on animal experience, you can visit livingbooksaboutlife.org. Please join me next week on Imagine That when I'll interview Shrinks on Third, a podcast series developed by two Philadelphia psychologists who co-host that series. Dr. Julie Mayer and Cindy Ariel will share their motivation to develop this unique podcast series that spotlights diverse and underrepresented people working to create positive social change. Imagine that. Thank you for taking a deeper look into your imagination with Dr. Miriam Franco. Please join us for another episode of Imagine That next Tuesday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Tap into your imagination this week.